As a long-distance swimmer during my childhood, I came to know and love the transcendent power of the ocean. No matter how stressful or complicated life was on land, in the water I was able to escape all that. Swimming was a liberation. It could save, soothe and heal. Seventeen years after my first Robben Island swim, an adventure I share in episode one of this podcast, I knew it was time to get back into the water. I was having a tough time. I'm not going to go into the gory details, but let's just say I could feel the need for the ocean in my body, bones and mind. Instead of returning to long-distance swimming though, I decided I wanted to learn how to surf. Now, I wasn't expecting surfing to be the panacea, the antidote, the cure-all, but what I did hope it might become is a tool I could use to soften life's blows and make it easier to accept and navigate its uncertainties. This is Archipelago, the podcast series of island adventures for you to enjoy in your armchair. I'm Alexander Matthews. Welcome aboard. I've been lucky enough to live near the sea for much of my life, but by 2017, had never rode its waves save for just a handful of lessons. I'd loved those lessons, but in spite of my enjoyment, they were scattershot and therefore ineffective. To make meaningful progress with something as tricky as standing on a board with the slippery surface of the sea beneath, I knew I needed to commit to a concentrated period of learning where I could build layers of skill and muscle memory. I chose Indonesia. When I got there, I was told Musenberg Beach, about a 20-minute drive from the Cape Town suburb where I grew up, is considered to be among the best places in the world to learn how to surf. So what was I doing here? many thousands of miles away when I could be doing this at home in South Africa. I suppose being really far away appealed to me. I figured abandoning routine and familiarity would heighten the experience. Also, I needed a reset, and Bali is a great place to do just that. When it's not being ravaged by earthquakes, volcanoes or terror attacks, it's paradise. Just ask Elizabeth Gilbert of Eat, Pray, Love. Gilbert found love there. I wanted to find a basic competency in surfing. Our first fortnight is in Changu, a town filled with cranes and hammering as new surf shops and surf schools and surf hostels are built. 
Blonde-haired hipsters ride scooters on sandy streets, their boards strapped to the side of their vehicles, girlfriends clutching their golden waists. A warung, a humble restaurant on the shore. Day one. The South African surf guide has taken us here for lunch. I'm wolfing down my first nasi goreng. This dish features rice flecked with egg and chicken. Delicious. I'm sipping on my first crisp bintang beer. The guide is asking us what we're hoping to get out of the four-week trip that each of us have booked through Ticket to Ride, a British surf travel outfit. I love the ocean. Just being in the water is enough. Everything else is a bonus, I say, breezily. Those words will come back to haunt me. Little do I know, though, when at the beginning, progress is good and quick. I jettison the foam board absolute beginners use and move onto a fiberglass longboard. It doesn't take too long before photos appear on Instagram of me wobbly-kneed but standing, standing in mushy white water. I quickly discover I love being on a wave. It's like flying. Once I take one from the back line all the way in, it is everything that matters. Or perhaps it's that in that moment, nothing else matters. In those dizzying seconds, it all falls away. You glide unencumbered as freedom, happiness, and elation surge in. It's a drug. As soon as it's over and you're turning around to face the long paddle back out, you want more. Here's the thing about learning to surf, though. Whatever milestone you reach, you most likely won't stay satisfied for long. You're not content with catching mushy white water, I decide to head out into blue water to bigger waves. A friend of the coaches is impressed, not at my ability, but at my near suicidal willingness to take on big waves which I clearly haven't yet got the aptitude for. I take them, but I hesitate, and in that nervous pause, I'm on the lower slope of the wave, not near its crest, and this results in wipeout after walloping wipeout. On one occasion, I even managed to break a board. One day, we go to Kudungu, a beach 45 minutes away. We pass rice paddies and endless sprawl. When we get there, I sip on two little cups of barley coffee, sweet, muddy coffee. It's quiet out. There's just a handful of other surfers. A volcano shrouded in mist looms over the horizon. The swell is much bigger, rougher, and messier than it was yesterday. What hasn't really helped is that we went to a bunch of bars last night. Surfing might be good for a hangover, but I quickly discovered that a hangover is certainly not good for surfing. Scary waves are even scarier. Your precarious balance is even more precarious. Terrified, I don't catch a single wave. Worse, I don't even try to. As the surf continues to pound in, and I stagger out of the water onto the sunlit sand, 
I'm reminded that, like much of the universe, the ocean is monumentally indifferent to you. I feel humbled, fragile, and insignificant. But, on the plus side, the relentless churn of worrying which often accompanies me has begun to feel insignificant too. From Bali, we travel by ferry to the neighboring island of Lombok. Here, there are mosques instead of Hindu temples, and the beer is more expensive. Before sunrise, we board a wooden boat. It takes us to a reef break far from the shore, which will soon become inundated with expressionless Japanese. We wait in water as clear and as still as glass. A wave forms suddenly. The water is still glassy, but is forming a powerful curve now. Eerie and spectacular, a clean, slow, surging sweep. We've got to surf that? Indeed, my attempts are pretty hopeless. I can't understand it. I'm the fittest, the fastest, the strongest in the group. But I'm the one not staying on any waves. I catch them, but a second or two later, I topple off. That's because no matter how many times I might get it right when I practice on land, the way I do my pop-up, the jump onto the board, is wrong when I'm in the water. I've come face to face with the staggering vastness of my incompetence and it's left me furious and disappointed. Good session, mate, the trip leader says, and I want to argue. I want to yell at him. Hasn't he been watching? I've not ridden a single wave today. But I don't. Instead, I nod. I remember what I said at the beginning of the trip, that the ocean is enough. I look around, slowly, at the volcanic curves of the mountains, the golden clouds reflecting on the sea. I realize I've got to appreciate where I am, not be disgruntled about how far away I am from where I'd like to be. With that, the contented, bountiful joy of just being here in this warm water on this gorgeous day is seeping in. The afternoon session is different. I still fall over plenty of times but I managed to stay on a few waves too. Now that I've let go, now that I don't care so desperately about improving, I'm actually improving. In the following days, I have some decent sessions, others are disastrous, but I still feel more present, more positive. I'm almost moved to tears, not by frustration this time, but by the ever-changing beauty and power of the waves. I'm enjoying myself. I take solace in the belief that if I keep on practicing, then one day I'll master the correct way to pop up on the board. One day, there'll be more rides than falls. I've realized I can't hurry this process. I can only keep trying. I can only do my best.
We go to the much smaller island of Nusa Lubonga next. And on the edge of that beautiful island, a wave dumps me and drags me along sharp coral. My back is bleeding, crisscrossed with burning welts, which in the following weeks will become scars. I laugh it off, but in truth, my confidence is shattered. The next day, I force myself to go back out. We attempt another reef break, ominously called lacerations. I'm cautious and timid. I can see the coral below. I can almost touch it. The following session is better. I catch and ride wave after wave after wave. We take a boat back to shore. I'm ecstatic and exhausted. It's the end of the trip, but I know, in my bones, this is only the beginning. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Archipelago. This particular one is actually based on an article I wrote for Business Day, a South African newspaper, in 2018. I hope you enjoyed it. To discover more of my stories, visit alexandermatthews.net. Next week, in our final episode of this series, join me as I go striding across peat bogs and plant juniper on the remote Scottish island of Jura, where George Orwell wrote 1984. In the meantime, take care and thank you again. <laughs>